I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and let's turn to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. While you're turning there, just a couple of reminders about some things coming up this week. Uh, today, at the conclusion of, our, of this service, uh, right through these doors and to the right is our point of impact class. So if you're a guest with us today and you're looking for a church home and you want to know what we're about, uh, this is a great way for you to discover uh, First Baptist Jacksonville. Um, you'll find out uh, who we are, what we believe, where we're headed. And it would be a pleasure for us to get to know you and welcome you into our uh, fellowship. This afternoon at 4 o'clock is our vision conference. So if you're a, a deacon at either one of our campuses, a Bible study leader, or if you're a member that really wants to know where God is taking us over the course of 2019, I want to invite you to come. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall at 4 o'clock. We're going to hear testimonies from new believers from both of our campuses. And we're going to celebrate what God has been doing and what God is up to in the life of our church. We're going to have dinner together. We'll have some pizza and salad. And then we get the privilege of being on mission as we talk about being on mission by helping uh, get some of our Honduras stuff packed up uh, for delivery. This Wednesday at noon is our very first Christianity Explained Luncheon. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall at 12 noon. So if you work in the city or um, maybe you just like to have a little extra Bible study, come at 12 o'clock. We're going to have a meal together. Uh, the cost of the meal is $4. If you're a student, that cost is $2. And if you come when you show up and smile at me and shake my hand, you get it for free. Students, by the way. Um, but um, we're going to begin a study this Wednesday at noon called Christianity Explained. And we're going to go back and look at the very basic understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so we want to invite you to come. We'll finish at 1240, so you've got plenty of time to get back to work uh, ready for the rest of the day. Our world is changing at a very fast rate. It is exciting. If you're technologically challenged, like me, it's a little scary at the same time. I mean, there are so many things I refer to almost on a weekly basis that address and speak to the way technology has changed my life. Right? I can only imagine the technology changes that will come for my grandchildren. Um, for example, if you are over the age of 35, you will remember what dial-up modems were like, right? I mean, like ladies, you could get dinner started and finish a crossword puzzle before you ever got connected to the internet, right? Uh, today, we get angry if we can't pull up Google in 30 seconds. Uh, technology used to be scary, and yet it is today so simple that both children and senior adults function freely online. Just last week, 
I was uh, at Lodiga visiting one of our, uh, visiting some of our senior adults. I walked into the room of one of our members, 89-year-old gentleman. And so I walked in to check on Dan, and the music was blaring. He was listening to Roy Acuff, okay? And uh, so I walked in and sat down and tried to, you know, visit with him, but Roy Acuff was just so loud. And so finally, um, uh, Mr. Dan looked at me and said, Pastor, I'm going to turn this down so you and I can visit. Would that be okay? And I said, that would be great. And all of a sudden, he said, Alexa, stop. (laughs) It's an amazing thing, technology. Speaking of music, did you know that vinyl records were introduced in 1948? They became popular in 1951. In 1964, they gave way to 8-track tapes, which gave way to compact discs in the 70s, which was then replaced by CDs in the mid-80s. And then by 1998, everything was going digital. And now here we are in 2019 where most homes and retirement centers are now being controlled by women named Alexa and Siri. Technology has affected even our churches over the last 30 years. I mean, simply having a a screen 30 years ago was considered a novelty in many churches, and now multiple screens are commonplace. Worship centers, lighting upgrades, computerized check-in for children, online giving. Seven years ago, nobody would have dreamed in online giving, giving, and now it is a core function of probably every church management software on the market. And so when you add to that church websites and apps and live streaming and podcasts, you can see all of the ways that technology has affected our, our churches. And many churches do not use any of the technological advances, and honestly, most of them are um, not essential to actually functioning as a church. There are churches all over the globe with no technology that are making a massive impact in the world. You know what is essential for functioning as a church? Disciples that make disciples. Disciples that make disciples. Many churches are making disciples today in ways that would put many of our technologically driven churches in the United States to shame. And that is actually why, as a staff, we wanted to start 2019 with a reminder of our first priority as a church. And that is to make disciples that make disciples. Dear ones... That is our mission. And if we fail to do what God has first called us to do, then all of our technology and all of our innovation, as good it is, is, and how thankful we are for it, but yet it is futile if we are not 
making disciples. I want to remind you as we think about disciples that make disciples, what we talked about last week. A disciple is a person who hears the call of Jesus and follows him. A disciple is someone who looks like Jesus. So as we think about making disciples that make disciples, here are just a couple of things that we would add to that. Number one, my calling is to prepare you for ministry. My calling is to prepare you for ministry. The text that was read for us in Ephesians 4 speaks to this truth. Paul told the church at Ephesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. By the way, the word for pastor is a shepherd. Jesus, when he said he is the good shepherd, it's the same word that was used. Right? This image of shepherding is carried over into the church. Peter uh, is told by Jesus to tend his sheep. Peter speaks to the elders to shepherd the flock of God. Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders about their flock. And so what is given to the church? Shepherds and teachers. And notice the text says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So in the church, you have shepherds who teach. The church is given by God shepherds who instruct church members in the great doctrines of the faith. The church is given shepherds and teachers to make application in Scripture in order to grow all of us up in spiritual maturity. So you have someone who uses this gift of teaching to shepherd the flock of God. So the shepherd, the the teacher, right, is called to do the equipping. God gives pastors to his church not to be the ministers. Now I want to give you a radical statement today. It's a statement that you know, but it is a great reminder for us today. Are you ready? I am not the minister of this church. You are. I am not the minister of this church. You are. I I want you to say this with me. I am a minister. Again, I am a minister. I'm not the minister. My task, my calling, my responsibility before God is to equip the ministers. The word equip is an interesting word in the Greek. It is a word that means to make right. It means to make straight. It's like uh, the setting of a broken bone. It is to bring to completion by restoring, to bring to completion by training. So my calling, my responsibility is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Right? And that is what you are to be equipped for, for work. Right? What kind of work? God's work. 
Work that God has laid out. Work that God has prepared for each and every one of your lives as Christ followers from the beginning of time. That God has prepared in advance for each and every one of you to do. Right? That is how you are to walk. That is how you are to go forward in life. Doing those things that God has equipped and designed for you to do. So what kind of work is God's work? It's ministry work. Notice the phrase uh, back in Ephesians 4, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. To do the work of of the ministry. It, it's interesting, the word for ministry that Paul uses is the same word from which we get our English word deacon. You know what that means? It means that you are being equipped by God to serve. A deacon is a servant. And so when you are being equipped to do the work of the ministry, you are being equipped by the Word of God, equipped by the Spirit of God, equipped for the glory of God to serve Christ's people and Christ's world. And the end result, the body of Christ is built up and strengthened. So, the pastor is the equipper, the church members are the ministers. My my ministry is to equip you for ministry, your ministry is to do the work of the ministry. Turn and look at your neighbor and say, I am a minister. You are, each and every one of you. So my calling is to prepare you for ministry. Secondly, your ministry is to make disciples. Your ministry is to make disciples. The question I want you to think about today is the same question that we think about as pastors, right? Are we making disciples who make disciples? Are we making disciples who make disciples? That's it. That's the question. The reason why that's the question is because that is the mission, right? Is it wrong to have technology and innovation? Of course not. What incredible tools God is giving us to use for ministry. But our first priority is following Jesus' command that he gave to us. And here it is. Jesus came and said to them, right, this is right at the end of the gospel of Matthew. This is right as Jesus is preparing to ascend into heaven. He came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now let's stop there for a minute. This is the command. right? This is the work. 
This is the mission. This is the priority of the people of God. This is the mission of the church. Disciples who make disciples. Everything we do as the body of Christ called First Baptist Church should be for this reason. It should be just this. So when you look at what Jesus said here in Matthew 28, the central command is make disciples. And the words then explain how. By going, by baptizing, by teaching. Right? We make disciples by going. It's not that we have to go away from home. It is simply that we are dedicated to the mission. The idea is intentionality. We make disciples by baptizing. What a blessing for us to have a visible picture today of baptism. Our public declaration before others that Jesus Christ is Lord. We make disciples by going. We make disciples by baptizing. And we make disciples by teaching. Right, So remember this, a public declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord and a life of obedience to His teachings. That is what makes up the core elements of disciple making. A public declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord and a life of obedience to the commands of Christ, to the teachings of Christ. In other words, it is discipleship through the gospel. We repent, we believe the gospel, and we follow. Let me ask you a question. Are you you willing to evaluate your life as a minister? Are you willing to just stop right now and ask the Spirit of God, am I a disciple? Am I a person who has turned from my sin and placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who has given evidence of that through believers' baptism where I declare I am dead to my old way of life and I have been resurrected to a new way of life? And am I living a life of obedience to the teachings of of Christ. So my ministry is to prepare you for ministry. And your ministry is to do the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the ministry? It is going, it is baptizing, and it is teaching. Why? Because we are disciples who make disciples. Now there's Something else here that I don't want to overlook and I don't want to minimize its significance because its significance is great. And it is simply this. As you and I go about making disciples who make disciples, let us always remember that Christ followers are never alone no matter what. Christ followers are never alone no matter what. Let me show you how this works, right? If you look, for example, 
in uh, Matthew chapter 16. Here is Jesus and his disciples in the region of Caesarea Philippi. They're north and a little east of the Sea of Galilee. Right? And it is there that Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? And here we have Peter's classic declaration, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And this is where Jesus reveals his agenda. This is the very first time that Jesus mentions his agenda. And Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. The word church is the word ecclesia, and it simply means an assembly, but it's not just any kind of assembly. Right? It is a called out assembly. It is a group of men and women and boys and girls who are called out of darkness and placed in the light. And so Jesus says, I will build my church. In fact, think about it this way. In Mark 1 verse 1, Mark says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so in the beginning, it was just Jesus. Then it became Jesus and four disciples. And then Jesus and four disciples and a few more. And by the time Jesus ascends to heaven, there are about 120. Then a few days later, you have 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, and then another 5,000 in Acts chapter 4, and then Roman oppression comes, and they start uh, forcing believers into de- denying their faith, they, um, physical abuse, and so much persecution that comes, and as a result of that, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not stuffed that snuffed out. In fact, dear ones, it grows and blossoms in the midst of persecution. And so what happened in Jerusalem on the seventh Sunday after the first Easter called Pentecost was the beginning of something that you and I know for a fact is still going on today. And you know what that is? Listen to me. Jesus Christ is still building his church. I'm sorry. I apologize that I've not done a good enough job to keep us awake today. So I'm going to repeat it, and I want you to talk back to me, okay? Jesus Christ is still building His church. Didn't that feel good? What would happen if we said that all the time? Folks would think we're charismatics, right? We could use a little charisma. The gospel, dear ones is still moving farther and farther out. The gospel is still going to the farthest corners of the world. I will never forget having the incredible privilege of standing on a hillside in southwestern China sharing the gospel with a man who'd never heard the name of Jesus before in his life only to listen to him declare, I believe the message that you are saying and I will follow this Jesus for the rest of my life. And that is the indication. That is the visible evidence And it will continue. It will continue until Isaiah 11.9 is realized. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In fact, one of the great prophecies of the work of Jesus is in Isaiah 49. And I will make you as a light for the nations. By the way, that's where we fit in. Those are the Gentiles. 
that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And so think about this, dear one. The ministry that Jesus started is now being carried out by who? You. 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 It's no accident that Jesus said in John 20, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And by the way, until the day comes that Jesus returns for us, here is the greatest promise of all. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There it is. That's it. Christ followers are never alone, no matter what. It's true for me as I strive to fulfill my calling. I think enough time has passed for me to share this. It was 10 years ago this spring. That I was called to the home of a little girl who, after battling cancer for close to two years, was told that there was nothing else that could be done. When I was called, it was probably 10.30 in the morning, maybe 11. And so I got in my car and I drove to the home and I walked in and I could hear it as soon as I opened the door. I could hear the crying. I walked back into the bedroom, and there laid sweet Megan. Tears running down her face. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And for the next two hours... Jesus Christ carried our conversation so that we were able to rest in his promise that he is with us always in sickness and in health in times when we celebrate life and at times when life is fading away. You and I are tasked by God to serve. I serve you by teaching you His Word. You serve one another. And you serve this city. And you serve this world. Because of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. And as you go, you know that life is messy. And because of that, ministry is messy. And sometimes it's hard. But never, ever, ever will you do it alone. The Spirit of God will always, now and forever, 
supernaturally watch over your life. Supernaturally direct your steps. So that as you die to yourself, as you lay aside your own needs, wants, and desires, and place them in the eyes of others. David Livingston poured out his life in Africa. And when he came back to the University of Edinburgh and was honored, this was basically what he said to them. The Christian life from start to finish and the church's life from beginning to ending is this experience of the constant, ever-present Jesus. Hallelujah. You and I are reminded today, just as the psalmist has taught us, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.